Just be careful there. Some of those rocks can be a bit slippery. Hang on, hang on. Pass the rope over. Ah, oh, this mountain climbing is ridiculous. Let's let's get in out of the uh, wild weather and start to enjoy episode 120 of the pool room with Future Mountain. Yes, that's right. We've got an excellent episode coming up today with the team from Mountain Culture. Uh, we've still got a couple of Mountain Culture tasting packs left in our Shopify. Uh, they're amazingly good value. We've knocked them down to $50 for five bottles, one of which is a 750ml bottle. Uh, as you'll hear in the podcast, they are amazing beers, and we really encourage you to enjoy the podcast uh, with them if you can get the chance. So, just Google Cool Room Shopify and you'll be able to find our Shopify page and we can deliver them out to you wherever you are. And um, before we get underway, our regular little reminder that if you can press subscribe, uh, that helps us out a huge amount. Rating and reviewing us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on is also really helpful. And finally, if you can share our pages from social media with your friends, uh, the best way that we can become known uh, and spread the word about what we do is for you to recommend us to people who are just like you, obviously people of good taste. So that helps heaps if you can give us a hand by doing that. Okie dokie, without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to Travis and we'll get underway with today's episode with Future Mountain. Welcome to the cool room. <laughs> The guys, Simon, uh, sorry, let's start that again because I've just lost my mind for tonight. It's been one my of name's not Simon. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> All right, let's, let's take, take two. <laughs> Ian and Shane from Future Mountain, welcome to the call room, gents. How are we? You good? Good, thank you. That's the way. It's a beautiful sunny evening here in Melbourne. Victoria, Australia, for all those overseas listeners that are probably dealing with winter at the moment, which uh, isn't a lot of fun. Um, guys, we're going we're gonna to start talking about the first of our beers in a moment, the constant state. Before we do that, we love to get our guests on the call room to introduce each other. Um, tell us a bit about how you guys met and then tell us, maybe we'll start with you, Ian. Um, what the other one's favourite beer is? Uh, so, what, do, do you want to how we met? Yeah, yeah, yep. How we met. All right. Well, so I was uh, um, uh, a brewer for a while at uh, a brewery um, down uh, south uh, that did some um, uh, barrel aged beer. Uh, I was there for that reason, um, and then. But I was I was only kind of working part time there, and then they um, they advertised for another brewer, really annoying. Um, and then they uh, they hired Shane, and I was like, this guy, this I can do this guy's job easy. Um, but they hired him from uh, another brewery. Where he's way way more experienced than me, um, and uh, uh, we we found out pretty quick that we were at this one brewery for the exact same reason is we, we wanted exposure to um to brewing certain kinds of beers and working with certain kinds of um uh, yeast cultures and, and and oak uh so that's that's uh that's how i met shane and do you uh, like to talk about what brewery that is or do you prefer not to talk about what brewery that is 
oh, you know, it's uh, it's not that important, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's that's well. a great answer. I'm loving this already. <laughs> uh, just a, a small little brewery called Boat Rocket. Um, so we were there, and uh, and what was the next question? So yeah, that's how I met Shane, and uh, and uh, your favorite beer. Yeah, what, what well, no, you've got to have a guess at what his favourite beer, what Shane's favourite So this is where we find out how well you know each other. Like, you know, if you were buying him a six pack of something special for Christmas, how do you know you've uh, you've got into his heart? Oh, it's, it's so easy. So, <laughs> so it's it's dumb. It's dumb easy. Uh, it's just a Dupont. I can buy him so much Dupont, he'd be so happy. There you go. So easy. And, and yeah. same question back the other way, maybe. Yeah. And um, do you remember the precise moment that you actually laid eyeballs on each other for the first time? And, you know, <laughs> were you both a little bit sort of friendly and, you know, how, how's this going to work? Or was it just beery love at first sight? Um, well, my recollection is that uh, I, I started the job on the first day and tried to tell Ian to do something and he <laughs> told me to get stuffed. So, um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was just uh, it was, um, sharing a mutual appreciation for good beer and music. I think that sort of happened pretty quickly. You know, you get to know when you work in a brewery, especially, you know, a, a very hands-on um, sort of small-scale brewery. Um, the people that you work beside, you, 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 you sort of, you grow to have a particular bond with them just because it's, it's very trying conditions. There's, you know, you've got to multitask. There's a million things going on at once. You're dealing with steam, chemicals. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty high-pressure environment. And I think we sort of... Um, you know, from our experience of working at various breweries, there's only a very select people that can actually handle the reality of working in a um, commercial um, production brewery. And, uh, yeah, you know, when you realise that you strike up a rapport where, you know, you don't want to throw something at them at, at the end of the day and you actually have a lot in common, that's, that's something that's pretty cool. So, yeah. you know. Nice. Um, can you tell us what uh, Ian's... Favorite beer is. He was uh, confident, man. He was so confident. No, no. It probably says a lot. I'm pretty one dimensional, maybe. Um, you know, Ian's a far more complicated guy. So, um, I, look, I would, I would, I would say that uh, for quite a while, it, it would have been um, uh, uh, fixation obsession. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, look, I, I, I think probably. Anything as sort of like uh, Santo Darius or um, uh, Jester King or something like that would be up his alley. Firestone Walker, um, he, he doesn't stop batting on about that, um, <laughs> about those guys. Um, he's, he's got an affinity with um, Anchor Steam. Oh, and, and anything uh, Sierra Nevada, he was always sort <laughs> of uh, crapping on about uh, Ken Grossman. And we actually... Uh, we went to a Good Beer Week event uh, together, uh, uh, pre-pandemic, obviously, and uh, Ken was there. And just a shitty, and I went and got uh, uh, bought a book, uh, Ken's book, and got Ken to sign it. I've never read it, have no real interest in doing it, but I just wanted to tell, just to show him that I had a signed Ken Grossman book just to piss him off. So, um, Ian, has he launched the book so you can read it? No, I, I had the book. I brought oh. the book. 
get signed. Ju- just not signed. He never got it signed. He never got it signed. Well. Have you ever thought about when you're over at Shane's place, just swapping out the book so you take the sign one? And... <laughs> it's, <Good> framed. <laughs> it's framed. Take it back. There's no access. <laughs> and um, I, I'm sure Good. we won't we won't test you on your knowledge of it, but you've you've tuned into the uh, Cool Rooms double episode when we had them on the show a couple of years ago. So uh, we won't put you on the spot. This is a little reminder to our newer listeners to go back and check the archives for some of the uh, amazing breweries that we've had on before an amazing brewery like yourselves. I so worked that in really neatly. That was really good. <laughs> um, speaking of breweries, uh, guys, paint us a picture. I mentioned before we have some overseas listeners, um, some overseas listeners. We have quite a few overseas listeners. Um, paint us a picture of the, the brewery and the tap room. Where are you guys located? And uh, give us a bit of an insight. Um, so we're in uh, just on the border of Preston and Reservoir on the... Um, uh, 86 tram line on Plenty Road. Uh, so we have a pretty large building here that has a pretty large tap room. Um, and uh, Shane and I designed the tap room. So um, it's pretty, um, it's a tap room for beer lovers. So um, it's, you can have a beer within uh, the tanks. They open, you can see open fermentation. You can, you can sit within barrels. Um, that was kind of the uh, the intention, like a like a nice immersive experience um, uh, within a brewery, which is what we've always wanted when we visit a brewery. Um, yeah, so uh, brewery wise, we're a um, we're a farmhouse inspired brewery. So we do um, saisons and um, uh, Belgian style kind of farmhouse beers. We do mixed fermentation um, uh, beers and barrel aged sour beers. So that's. <laughs> We're pretty specific, pretty pointy in that end. So that's kind of that's kind of all we do. Uh, we don't do any pale ales or IPAs or anything like that. So um, the beer that you have right now is probably the um, yeah the kind of the beer that is probably the most uh, uh, mainstream beer that we do. A saison, which still not a lot of people know about the style. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It was, and like I said before, we're we're starting with the constant state. It's um seven hundred fifty mil bottle. It's rare that we start an episode of the core room with a seven hundred fifty mil bottle, but um I think everyone that's drinking it in the Zoom room are absolutely loving it, and those listeners after the fact will will love it too. Uh, give us a a bit of a view. What what made you decide to start with this beer tonight? Was it just that it is that beer that sort of you know, is it your flagship beer? I think it's um, <clears throat> probably primarily, you know, it, it's uh, what we would consider to be a highly drinkable beer. Um, what what we aim to do with all of the Future Mountain beers is that we're looking for a common thread uh, uh, through every beer uh, with two really key uh, parameters being balance and drinkability. Um, so it doesn't matter whether you're having us, you know, our, one, uh, having this saison, having one of our mixed fermentation uh, farmhouse sales, uh, long-term maturation sour beers, or our uh, silhouette uh, bourbon barrel-aged imperial oatmeal stout. Um, it doesn't matter if we're talking about spicing, smoked beers, or you know, fruited beers. The fundamental principle is is the same across all of the beers, and that that comes down to balance and drinkability. Um, and hopefully a sort of uh, everyone will sort of see that thread uh, throughout the beers tonight when you when you try them all. 
Um, the thing with the Saison is that, uh, you know, it, it's uh, for us, it's very important to try and maintain a particular ethos um, uh, here at the brewery. These are beers which, you know, first and foremost, these are the sort of beers we want to drink. Um, you know, we're sort of beer enthusiasts and passionate about beer and um, sort of historical aspects of beer. Um, and we sort of try and trying to make it a bit of a commercial uh, concern. Um, so we, we, we're very sort of hard on ourselves and sort of strict with, you know, sort of those principles. Um, the thing that we love so much about, you know, Saisons and farmhouse ales and things like that is that it's so widely open to interpretation. Um, and the wonderful thing about that is that, you know, it's sort of like people talk about, you know, house cultures and, 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 and house flavours are things that we sort of definitely focus on a lot. Um, and some of our fondest memories of travelling uh, to uh, breweries around the world is that, you, you know, you go to, you know, a small farmhouse brewery in Belgium from one town to the next and the beers taste completely different, yet there's some sort of a, a common thread of a flavour profile that carries through all of their range of beers. So for us, the Constant State Saison is something which is, um, we were very, very uh, keen to want to be able to sort of nail very much from the start. And uh, Saisons are one of those funny things where, um, and this is where Ian will fall asleep for 40 minutes because I'm about to go on the world's longest <laughs> rant about Saisons. Um, so uh, Saisons get a bad rap in Australia uh, far too often. It's sort of like people uh, in, within the industry and punters alike, um, people are far too quick to dismiss Saisons, saying Saisons don't sell in Australia, Saisons aren't popular and things like that. Um, that's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a sort of a um, 10 years ago almost sort of mentality. There's some amazing breweries out there now that are making some wonderful Saisons and I think that, that that's, uh, you know, attributable to the fact of that, of that element of sort of uh, drinkability. So first and foremost, which you'll notice when you try this beer is that we're not trying to do a DuPont clone. So uh, it's not six and a half percent. So, um, you know, the, the really key parameters when you try and make a Saison, um, in our mind, and this is purely only our opinion and, and it's, it's very subjective, but it has to be bone dry, uh, has to be drinkable and the esters need to be in check. So. We've, we, uh, we open ferment our, our Saison. So it goes into the open fermenter, not to be uh, confused with the cool ship. We don't do any spontaneous um, fermentation here. Yeah. Uh, we inoculated, we, we spent a lot of time trialing different yeast uh, strains and came up with a combination of two yeast strains that we found gave us a really good combination of being able to highly attenuate the beer, so make it nice and dry. Um, and also a really nice floral uh, ester characteristic opposed to it being too fruity. So, you know, like you can, and, and, and we've all had them before, those uh, Saisons that it's, they're very bubblegummy. Um, the fruity characteristic of the, of the esters, which is, which is flavor profiles, which the yeast produce, that the, it, the, uh, when it's a little bit too over the top, it's that real bruised pear, um, you know, sort of starting to get a little, a, like a little bit too sweet, um, overpowering. And we think that this is a really like a beautiful sort of combination of a nice floral characteristic with a nice um, fruity characteristic as well. 
nice and dry, uh, which is really important, and uh, also 4.7%. So that's where the drinkability element comes in. Yeah, nice. Um, a, a couple of people in the Zoom room have already put in the chat uh, wanting to know the two yeast strains you use. We have a lot of home brewers that join us in the call room. Um, they'd love to know what the yeast are. Yeah, it's for sure. Um, uh, we'll, we won't tell you. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's it's okay. Exactly. It's an open book. We'll, a full disclosure, we'll tell you tonight uh, all the places where we get our yeast from. No dramas. Um, so it is a it is a Belgian. Uh, it's the uh, yeah. I'm getting put on the spot. Um, it's Belgian strong ale, which I, and it, so anyone that knows. Um, uh, you, you sort of bounce between white labs or Y yeast yeast strains. This is the uh, we get yeasts um, from uh, Derek from Bluestone, um, awesome yeast, um, and Derek's an absolute ripper bloke. Yeah. Um, but for uh, but but for those that are very particular with the yeasts, uh, one of them is the uh, WLP five four five, which is a Belgian strong, and the other one is the second yeast strain that's DuPont that's not the standard DuPont yeast strain. So it's the whatever that is. And, and can I ask a, a question which sort of follows up on, on that one, which is how much do you try to reculture those yourselves or do you just always use fresh yeasts in, you know, we've heard different things from different brewers over the, over the time about how they use that, not just in the constant state, but across the, the full range of things that you brew. Um, so uh, mixed uh, mix fermentation sour beers are completely completely different. We we um, we use them over and over again. We keep them we keep them safe and keep them uh, uh, keep them happy. But uh, these uh, say the constant state. Um, some of our clean beers, more saison and wit beers, they're fresh yeast. So we get we just get them direct pitch. Um, we get them at the right yeast, uh, the cell count, and um, yeah, we buy them direct. So, but we, you know, we'll 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 repitch like this. Saison pitch might go for three to four, max five generations, um, yeah, and then we'll see awesome. we'll see some performance issues. Um, but yeah, uh, at least three generations we try and get out of it. Yeah. So where we you know where we sort of use commercial yeasts uh, pitches uh, for these uh, beers. Once we get over into the mixed firm farmhouse ales and things like that, um, we haven't used commercial yeast propagates from that. Um, that's been proper, uh, propagated up from bottle dregs from some of our favourite breweries from around the world. So that's a very different approach. And then the next step for us is to start to actually do yeast captures. Um, we've got uh, we've got a couple of beers that that have a yeast capture from a, a bottle brush from Ian's front yard, which Ian lives in Yarraville, so I'm amazed there's anything viable in, in the western suburbs. Now, um, now, I feel the need to jump in here. For, for our many, many overseas listeners, they may think that you're washing your bottles with some kind of, you know, scourer from, that you bought at a supermarket. A bottle brush is an Australian native plant. I think that's important to point out to people. Unless you are indeed no, no, washing no. bottles in your front yard. I'm curious on where Ian's finding bottle brush plants in Yarraville because I live in Yarraville too and I can't. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, I planted it a long time ago. It's my own. Nice. 
<laughs> um, uh, we should talk offline and I should come around and check those out because uh, it sounds amazing. Um, we're still, we're going to stick on the beer for a little bit longer. Um, give us a, both of you give us a, a view, where and when did you both try Saison's for the first time? Because I feel like that question is going to be very different for the both of you. Um, if I thought it's, I'm trying, I'm trying to reach far, uh, far back. I'm trying to think. So I remember when, uh, you know, there was, um, Belgian beer cafe over it was a Bluestone building in Paran. Yeah. Um, I remember when slow beer first opened a store in Hawthorne and I remember trying a La Seren Saison from slow beer. Um, then the rest is history. That's interesting. Do you, so is it the same for you, Ian? Was La Seren sort of your introduction to Saisons here in Australia? Um, I think so, but um, I'm not as obsessed as Shane with, uh, with Saisons, but uh, this, uh, this is gonna, Shane's going to love this, but... Um, Yes, La Seren for sure, and then DuPont. And I love those beers and had some pretty average saisons from a lot of other breweries. So I kind of uh, uh, wrote them off as well. But when I met Shane, couldn't stop talking about them, really annoying. And um, and then actually a lot of Shane's home brews um, were, were very similar to this constant state. So a lot drier and a, and a, and a lot, um, and, and the acid profile was, was just a lot more delicate and a lot nicer. So that's that's where I was like, uh, yeah, 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 we're on to something, yeah. You're recording this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't like saying that. If I'm going to listen to this over and over and over, <laughs> a little bit. Are you thinking, is that going to be your ringtone? <laughs> well, Shane's a genius. Shane's a genius. <laughs> we, can, we can cut that part out for you, Shane, and just send oh, it to you really separately good. if you want. <laughs> No, you can you can well, use you see fit. That's the that's that's the unique thing about uh, I think uh, kind of what we're doing and and what Lasseren have had for a while is like actually producing a, a, a saison that's a, a unique saison, mm. not like Shane was saying, not just a Dupont clone because like yeah. a, lot of, a, a lot of breweries make one saison a year, you know, and that's all they want to do is make an Esther buck of a fucking seven percent saison. Mm. And it's in in our in my opinion, it's never any good. Um, so that's what's like that's what's quite unique about having a saison on the shelf that isn't a huge, um, yeah, a sweet alcoholic um, uh, uh, product. So that's has, has this saison changed from the first time you brewed it to to now? How long have you been making this for? It actually hasn't too no, much. There's no. a couple of different hops hop varieties um we, we, we were we were building this uh brewery for about nine to ten months and during that time we were making you know 50 liter 50 liter um beers 50 liter batches of of these beers and trying these uh, yeast uh, uh yeast blends out so uh no this well yeah mm. it's that a funny thing change. it's a funny thing i think like it's it's um there's the tried and true um, 
sort of uh, st uh, story about going from a home brewer to a pro brewer, I guess. And um, I, that's, I, I think, you know, both of us have certainly, you know, the biggest thing which you realise when you when you technically you go from a home brewer to a pro brewer is actually the challenges of scaling something and understanding what the, opening that that whole new mechanical process what that does to the changing of the beer and things like that. But we we didn't go from home brewers to pro brewers. We were commercial production brewers that moved you know moved on so we we were in a very luxurious position where you know we were doing both at the same time for quite some time with a very clear sort of goal and objective as to what individually we wanted to do before we even met each other so the transition to then open our own our own brewery was actually quite seamless we understood the mechanics of uh, production we understood the mechanics of scaling recipes and things like that and and you know the sort of larger scale uh fermentation and things like that mm -hmm. so you know we, we we we're not we're not those home brewers to pro brewers where that have had to really have those challenges um so you know we've obviously we we continue to change and tweak and that's a great thing about so i was saying before it's sort of you know there's so much expressive freedom in being able to do saisons and farmhouse sales because you're not directly at the behest of style guidelines. Saisons, there are style guidelines, yeah. obviously. Um, but, you know, there's so much room to move. We can, you know, even if we even if we slightly deviate from something, we can tell people that that's what we intended. Yeah, <laughs> no, nice. it's any different. Is, is, this the, is this your biggest seller in the tabard? Um. Be clear, be up there. Uh, it'd be, it, it's, it's close, but like, um, you'd be surprised how many people in a reservoir like farmhouse ales, uh, mixed yeah. fermentation and sour beers. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, no, it's not, it's not the biggest seller. No. Okay, cool. But um, it's, it's definitely a core beer for us. Like yeah. we, we always produce it uh, through through the year. We make more of it at a certain time of year because it suits uh, open fermentation. But uh, um, yeah, it's definitely a cool beer for us. Yeah, we are going to move on to our second beer very very soon, which uh, David is going to lead us through. But before we do uh, the classic COVID question, guys, uh, how did you guys go throughout um, lockdown after lockdown after lockdown? And God help if we end up in another one um not not great but not great not you know it's uh everyone's uh did every, everyone was suffering so did you um, find things had to sort of shift a bit did you shift anything to sort of change things up or yeah like um we we pivoted pretty quick to just uh, obviously take away sales and we obviously like every other brewery we had a lot of beer in in kegs and things like that so we pivoted pretty quick to take away like uh, howlers like one liter one liter vessels uh, straight from our taps um, so that was that was really good that's what's really good about being in a tiny little business like within half an hour you can just pivot your whole business yeah um so we did that which was which was great and we we're doing delivery and all that sort of stuff so we we did okay we, you know we kept the lights on um 
um, and we, yeah, it, like we could we could support from around uh, from 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 the local uh, from our locals um, a lot more than kind of probably we expected, uh, being the kind of brewery that we are. Um, but then but then you look at it and you go, well, there's not that many breweries like us around, so people uh, people you know people want want our product so um especially in lockdown they just want want new things so um yeah it was okay it was okay i think there was you know there was there was enough to go around to keep everyone going and it's like you know people had the luxury of being able to um you know say you know that they'll get chinese takeaway tonight or you know sort of get something from Mond or something like that right yeah. Um, and the you know beer was no different you know it's sort of like people were obviously you know we we spoke to people that would buy fixation beers because they wanted their IPA fixed and then when they wanted something a bit more farmhousey and Belgian and Saisoni they would they would order mm. from us so you know it's like we, we also too it's like um, the we had our first birthday celebrations on the 27th of March 2019. Um, and that was the last weekend we were open and then the world went to shit. So, um, we, you know, we were, we were in startup. So the funny thing for us was we didn't know any different. The world had always been chaotic. <laughs> it just happened to be a virus, from, you know, opposed to just the trials and tribulations of the first year of business. So, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like our mantra has been that if we could get through, if we can get through a pandemic, um, uh, after being a startup, then we might be onto something. Yeah, so that's a that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> I think uh, on that note, David, we're going to move on to kissing the beehive, which is an awesome name for a beer. I know you've already got yours sitting there waiting to go. Uh, crack it open, everyone. Um, uh, David, over to you. Thank you, Brother Travis. So, look, I, I guess the question that I wanted to start out with before we've explored the beer that's going to be in the glass is because it's gone through a number of processes and that's going to be the fascinating thing to talk about. But sort of the, the first bit of the fermentation, how does the beer end up tasting out of the first ferment, perhaps compared to what we've just tasted just now? And then how does the beer finally express itself once it's gone through everything else? I'm just sort of interested to find a way to explain to people just how complex and interesting this beer is. Yeah, so the, the initial fermentation happens in oak. Uh, yeah, Shane's brought some beers back. Um, the initial fermentation starts in, yeah, in, in, in oak barrels. Um, so at a certain point of attenuation, we add more honey. So... Um, uh, so it's it's a, it's a very thick textural beer at that stage, um, and the mix uh, the mix culture will it's it's a, it's a pretty slow moving mix culture. So it will it will um, it will go through that honey uh, pretty slow, and there's a lot of cereal, a lot of spelt um, in that beer as well. So it's it's pretty thick, um, but then but then once it uh, matures in in oak for like three to four months, changes a bit, gets a bit brighter, acidity comes up. Um, and then we'll move it, uh, move it to pack, and then, and then it goes through a whole other thing again, where we add more honey uh, to carbonate the beer, um, and it will go through a whole new life cycle in the bottle. Um, 
So it's you know, so so when you when you're adding that first bit of honey, when it's at a certain level of attenuation, are you are you judging that by taste, or are you doing it in a lab, you know, to to pick certain levels? How do you make that decision about when that that dose of honey goes in? Uh, it's just it's just level of attenuation. So there's a stress level on the yeast, and uh, so it, we don't want to stress it out too much. Um, uh, it's just from just from experience, uh, adding adding a uh, um, yeah another another uh, more sugar, more more carbohydrates to to a fermentation. And you want to make sure that that sort of that that level of attenuation is worked through a lot of that a lot of the maltose and things like that, you know, you, you add a, a very uh, a simple carbohydrate, simple sugar like, uh, like honey, and um, it'll start sort of monstering through that. And so favoring that. Instead, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a balance. As Travis said before, you know, we've got a lot of listeners who are home brewers, uh, you know, and some at the very beginnings of their journey and some who are just sort of moving on from kits and so forth. Brewing with honey for a first time, I mean, are there, are there traps for young players? Are there challenges that come out of using, you know, honey rather than other fermentables? From a flavour pro- uh, point of view, you'd um, definitely um, sort of honey origins are really, really important. Um a lot of more eucalypt strong honeys are, um, uh, aren't that ideal from a flavour profile. Um, you know, Can you explain again for overseas listeners about that in particular? Because you know we all know what eucalypts smell like, and we know you know what a good red wine that's been grown around eucalypts smells like. But you know, for people yeah, overseas, it, 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 it tends like I guess a, like that eucalypt flavour. Uh, it, can, it can tend to be a quite uh, quite an oily, um, yeah, almost it's sort of like a, a gum mint uh, sort of flavour, I guess. Is, is that how you kind of explain it? There's a lot of different, um, you know, so, sort of there's like yellow box, um, uh, red gum, uh, d- uh, different sort of uh, gum trees and uh, eucalypts uh, varieties that they all have different flavour profiles and characteristics with honey. Um, whilst it's pretty difficult to control a bee to make sure it doesn't land on a on a bloody gum tree, um, <laughs> you can you know it's, it's certainly we try and target the ones that are a lot more sort of flower, uh, while you know from sort of like um, more from sort of like wildflower sort of thing. Well, uh, yeah. these I think the second one, second uh, beehive that we did uh, was from a a uh, an acquaintance's family farm. Uh, in central Victoria, and uh, it was in uh, quite um, quite a lot of pastoral land, and the and the flavour of the honey was mm. insane, wasn't Phenomenal. it? Was, yeah, it really. was it was beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, this one's this one's from. It's hard to remember because we make these beers like we made this beer like you know over a year ago. So um, I think these are this is from the rooftop honey people. Mm. You know the rooftop honey. Mel- they, they Mel- have, Mel- yeah, they have hives around the city. Mm. Um, and I think I can't remember, but I think that you bought some honey from this area. Mm. But I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love the answer. We often love to talk to brewers who go out and um, literally walk down the rows of hops to select exactly the hops that they want. I love the idea that you could direct individual bees to go out to visit individual flowers. That's going to be the next. <laughs> well, we're we're, tr- we're 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 trying because. 
right above us right now we have a beehive um intentionally yes yeah 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 so uh like what well above us like it's a tall building not right there uh but uh uh so we have a beehive uh, with a couple of boxes um and the intention is to get all our honey from our own uh roof uh, for this beer mm. um so then we we get to we get to actually um have a proper local produce because as a as a farmhouse brewery it's pretty uh, in the city it's quite difficult to um you know uh, you know it's called farmhouse beer so we're farmhouse inspired so we get we get things as close as we can from around the brewery so fruit uh you know fruits from the Ara Valley like, you know it's nice and close but it's the beehives that we we can actually do it like it can go directly above like on our building so we can actually um we can actually dictate that the honey comes from below like around the building from the local areas so that's I, I think that's really that's, cool that's that's cool um and I, I guess the question you know we often ask brewers you know people who listen to a lot you know we'll hear, you know uh, you know, how have the hops changed over time or how is it to deal with different batches of hops? How difficult is it at times to deal with different batches of honey if you've set the beer up for something else or, you know, you, you just have that level of confidence now that you can, you can bring in a good tasting beer no matter what honey comes in the door? No, we know. No, we know yeah, well, we, still, we still sort of hold on to that, to that uh, second batch, the, um, yeah. the one from the... From the uh, from uh, up near Yay, uh, we haven't been able to. There was it had this really amazing quality. There was a flavour profile, but also had this had this little bit of waxiness to it. That was it was mm. literally like uh, you know when you try you get a, a scoop of raw honey and you get a, a little bit of honeycomb, a little bit of wax in there that just gives this waxy textural thing. It, it, it had that. That yep. just that was insane. It was so good. Um, when we got it, there was there was little bits and pieces in it and some bee legs and stuff. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe yeah, you, just, you need some texture in there by yeah. by way of just foreign method. But uh, <laughs> you know, so no, it definitely does. And some, you know, it is it is the, that's this what you know excites us and gets us out of bed in the morning. Is it you know is that idea of being able to, you know, uh, trial and error and try things. And each time we learn something new, you know, about when you taste something and it's about developing that 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 sort of connection and you know you you know you, you're tasting these raw materials and then you then sort of extrapolating that out to what you then taste in the finished product and then working backwards and going okay so what's you know what are these factors involved and it is that thing exactly like Ian said it's sort of you know what excites us is that you know we're 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 on this constant journey of sort of um, of sort of the brewery and the flavour of the beers that we do evolving, but we're on this on this journey of sort of learning from all of these people, from farmers to beekeepers to we've got some 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 ripping mates that own a uh, coffee roasting, and it's sort of like that's what excites us is just to learn from other producers and then to be able to apply some of those methods and techniques into the things that we do. And then we can talk on podcasts and sound like experts. But... <laughs> you are certainly doing that. So don't worry. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, we often ask our guests to sort of take us on a bit of a, a tour of the beer from colour to aromas to the flavours, obviously. And we'll get you to do that in a second. But I really want to sort of call out the colour component of that. 
and just say that maybe just where I'm sitting with the, the late summer Melbourne you know, light coming through the window, but the colour of this is just so evocative of honey in and of itself. And is that something you deliberately go for or just a natural result of, you know, how you're brewing it? But it just the colour is magnificent. No, for sure. You know, colour is, you know, colour is a really important uh, parameter and, and, and a very important factor. And, you know, we always come back to the seasonal aspect of the beers that we produce and uh, the products which we use within each beer and things like that. No, we, we, we labour long and hard over sort of colour profiles of beers depending on, you know, what time of the year or, or sort of, you know, we're looking to elicit a response from the drinkers and, you know, the old chestnut where people say you drink with your eyes and blah, 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 you know, like, of course that is true. And, you know, the first thing which you do before you look at, you know, any sort of a beverage or, you know, drink any sort of a beverage is that you look at it and, you know, it's sort of like, I know I do that with wines and things like that. And so, you know, the, you know, our beers, our, our, our beers are no different, you know, it's sort of like in the color spectrum wheel, you have the elements of the ingredients, which, you know, which contribute, but the most certainly the seasonality of it um, is something which, you know, sort of we try and, you know, bring into mm. all their beers, isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm going to get you to take us on that tour in a second, but before I do that, Mark, in the chat, uh, you know, which is one of the great things about doing this on Zoom is that we've got a live audience with us and people can type those questions, so please make sure that you come and be part of that. Um, Mark's asking the best temperature to drink this beer. And I think that's a great question um, because obviously as it warms up, we're going to get different flavours coming through. So how would you like people to approach the beer? Um, so we, we, we sell all our beer, all our farmhouse beer here at six degrees. Most of the time at six degrees. So that's how I like to drink it. And then, like you said, it opens up to about 10 to 12 and you get, you, you get a whole different experience depending on the glass. So, yeah, I'd start off at six. Is that what it says? <laughs> it says I'm glad this kind of agreement. We put it on the side of the bottle. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we, find that, we find that, you know, sort of for us, uh, you know, with any of the beers which, which we do, drinking a glass of it, we expect that, you know, it's, it's a journey. And... It's sort of uh, as the beer, as you go, as you work your way through the glass, it, it does open up and temperature does have a lot to do with that. The more that it opens up, the more that it will, it will express different elements of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's none of our beers do very well being very, very cold. Um, it tends to be how you drink uh, not very nice tasting beers. And, and James in the chat, I will get you to do that little tour in a second, but he asks a very relevant question. And we've spoken a bit to a number of people about preferred glass styles. Uh, the guys from Bonstefan, for instance, go back and check the archives, had some really clear views on what types of glasses should be used for different types of beers. And um, I'm drinking mine from a lovely carbon glass, which we got as part of a pack a while ago. Do you have different glass styles in the tap room for different types of beers? And generally, what do you reckon people should be drinking your beers from? Uh, yeah, like um, the beer, the glass that we're drinking from is one of our glasses that we serve in the tap room. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a red wine glass, small, I think. So it's, it's really concentrated at the top, uh, plenty of surface area, so it warms up nicely and um, kind of 
you obviously don't overfill it. So drinking this in a pint glass would just be uh, shocking, shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, can I get you to take us on a tour? Drinking any beer in a pint glass to me is crazy because it, it all just there's no concentration, even 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 an IPA. Ah, oh, see now that's an interesting discussion. That's that's a yeah. Uh, does that mean you don't serve anything in a pint glass? Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, we do pizza. Ah, boys. That's your gotcha moment. It's, uh, you know, yeah, 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 how, yeah, how much does a litre of milk cost anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we don't serve these beers in pint glasses, but uh, um, uh, wit beers. Um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, barrel-aged barrel pilsers and things like that. Um, yeah, but it's it's like, you, you do it because you need a pint of it, not because it's actually the best drinking. Uh, I'm going to stop talking. <sighs> I, I actually think that's, a, I think that's a really valid point, though. There are a lot of places out there that serve beers in a pint glass because you're selling the most most volume and it's yeah. the easiest option. Yeah, it's yeah. We, yeah, we, we just we don't we only serve our barrel aged beers, our farmhouse beers in the in these glasses for that reason. It's we're, we're looking at we want people to have an experience with it. Yeah. Shane has asked a ripper question in the chat. I'm going to come back to that. But I really want, and we have a number of people who listen to the podcast who are just exploring craft bees for the first time and don't necessarily have all the words and the language to express uh, the flavours and smells that they're experiencing. So when you guys taste this beer, what are you smelling? What flavours would you like it to be evoking? And did I, once we move into the, the tasting, what flavours do you want to be coming through with that on the palate? Um, probably something which is really important to acknowledge with with that is that, you know, whether we're talking about a honey beer or whether we're talking about a raspberry sour or anything like that, there's, there's still, there has to be an absolute essence of what the base beer is because far too often, you know, it's sort of like if it's a honey beer or if it's a, a, a raspberry beer or whatever, that people's expectations is that if they see that if they see it on the label, that's the first thing they should taste, and it's something that you just just. But actually, adding a flavour into a beer is really easy, but um, to actually make it so it's a nuanced flavour that sits within the base beer is is far is far more important from an enhanced drinking experience point of view. So. You know, what we're looking for with this beer is we're looking for uh, like overall elements to be able to complement each other. And so, you know, that like that, like the honey, like Ian said before, we, we're looking for a slightly more textural um, uh, characteristic with this beer. Um, and we we also use, you know, um, you know, like what Ian said, we use malted spelt, which which is sort of more of a rustic grain that has. A, a particular cereal characteristic to it that we find that sort of complements honey really nicely. Um, so the honey, something that you want, you know, we're looking for it to kind of linger on the palate a little bit, but for it to disappear, it's not something that you want. It's full mouth coating. You're not drinking a mead. You know, it's 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 something that that is just a, it's a, it's something that just sort of uh, like evolves throughout uh, throughout the glass, but. You know, with any of these things, it's it's like you know, whilst we um, talk a very pointed language, we're not snobby about beers. We're not elitist about beers, and I think that's the thing that we come back to that to that 
for us, farmhouse beer being a, being, being a state of mind and it's everyday drinking beer. So we can spend a long, we can spend a lot talking about or trying to elevate this, you know, our products in this particular way. But for us, it's the important essence is that at the end of the day, after a hard day's work, we will, we want all these beers to be beers that you could, that you could drink mm. and enjoy. So you don't have to be a connoisseur or anything like that to be able to appreciate it. People know what they like and people people appreciate a well-balanced flavoured drink. So yeah, yeah. Um, for us, that's the yeah. goal. It's like what Shane says, like balance and drinkability. And, and I'd add another one in, like all our beers are very dry, which is at the end of a day, you, you like, we, we drink these beers like, you know, when they come out and we enjoy them. And uh, we, we, we don't like, um, beers that aren't dry so like this and this this what excites me about some of our beers especially this one like you drink this and go mm, it's dry but it has this real like textural thing to it uh, really interesting but like because we make like that is dry that's completely dry right mm. but to me i go i'll question that and go oh that's that's interesting how they made it quite a textual experience but it, it's still really dry because um, mm. that's the most textural beer that we make, in my opinion, um, be, be, because of the honey omen and all that cereal, especially the especially the spelt. So that's 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 the cool thing. Uh, that's why I love this beer. In I, I, I think everyone in the cool room chat at the moment is just saying fantastic things about this beer, and I love the language you've used there in terms of describing the nuance and. Uh, I often say it takes a lot of restraint to make a beer like this, mm -hmm. particularly when you're trying to make an impact on the market and you want to be known for for doing things. And it must always be a temptation, I guess, to go, we're going to make a honey beer. We want to be everyone to know we're making a honey beer. Um, I approach this beer with, you know, some concerns because honey is not a flavour I, I love in beers. And yet in this, it just adds to the whole palette rather than being a whacking over the head WWE style with a chair. Yeah. Yeah. For, it's a lot of the time it's quite hard for us to um, talk about one of our beers because we know exactly when, what goes into it. So I've, I've had this beer with people and I've said anything and they've said, Oh, I can't even taste any honey. You know, it's, it's super interesting and it's, Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard. Um, it's hard to talk about our own beers because I I know it, well, I, exactly what goes on. So that's all I talk about. Mm. So it's 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 cool to see um, other people drink it and go, oh, I got this and I got that, you know. Um, um, yeah, but I think it's quite obvious that there's honey in this, but um, not in a not in a not in a sweet way, more of just a flavour and a textural way. That's what. And it's a certain kind of honey. I can I can appreciate the notion that this isn't just any honey being chucked in. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's it's adding far more than just the basic sort of sugar flavor through. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well um, that's you know it's it's a very important um thing with with a beer like this and that's you know there's been a lot of trial and error with that is that the 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 key to be able to get those elements of the honey really comes down to when you use it in the process. You put it in the kettle and it's literally all, all of the volatiles are boiled off and it's literally just a, it's just an attenuatable sugar. Um, so it basically just lightens the body opposed to using malt and maltose and things like that. Um, and the later that you add it in the fermentation, the less amount of um, 
bigger from the fermentation means that, again, it retains a lot of those volatiles that normally would be blown off. And then there's a the third step um, of being able to then add it as a priming sugar um, to be able to carbonate the, to carbonate the beer. And, and we've really honed in um, this one to be able to really hit that point as to when to add it into the barrel uh, within the um, sort of uh, towards the later stage of primary fermentation and then with the, with the bottle conditioning. And, and for us, we have struck on that nice combination of the quantities that go into those two points, which give us that, that amount of expressive honey that we're really looking for. And um, yeah, yeah. That, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's all those layers that, that definitely make this beer, but it's like the carbonation as well is vastly different to carbonating um, mm. with just uh, dextrose that we do with, I'll say some and other things. It's, it's very tight. Um, it's very tight carbonation bubbles, yeah. Mm. Really, it really fits that uh, textural um, honey thing that we're going for. Before we move on, we'll have a little break here in the Zoom room so people can recharge their glasses and powder their noses and everything else that needs to happen. But I, I said I was going to come back to Shana's question, and I think it's hopefully a, a good time to do that, which is, you know, how long is too long to have the beer out before you start to lose all of the elements? that you like to have, to have people tasting, both in terms of temperature, but even just, you know, it starts to lose its effervescence and so forth. You know, how, how long do you think it stops being what you want to represent in the beer? From a temperature point of view, do you mean? Mm. Yeah. From both the temperature, but everything else that happens to, to the liquid while it's out. And... Um, you know, again, we're drinking on a moderately warm summer's night in Melbourne. Um, but, you know, is there a time where you just sort of go, actually, that one's just been in front of you for too long now. We don't want you to taste that anymore. We'll get you a fresh glass if we're trying to show it off. Yeah, it's, I guess, you know, that that sweet spot is like what Ian was saying. It's sort of around that sort of six to eight degree mark. Um, you know, you start, you know, airing up over sort of 10 plus degrees and, it's probably not that much of an enjoyable drinking experience. Yeah. And sw swirling is nice for aroma, but you don't swirl it too much. Otherwise, you just get a flat, warm you just beer. Knock the carbonation out. Yeah. So it is, yeah, it is a bit of a balance. Um, yeah. You've got 10 minutes to, have it, to drink a bottle. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had a couple of other questions written down, but I, I'm going to move this on to the traditional cool room question, um, which I rarely get to ask. So it's always fun to, for me when we get to do this. And obviously this wouldn't be uh, a question that you'd answer in reference to, uh, to Future Mountain, not even to Boat Rocker who you've referenced, but we, we love to hear those sort of stories about what happens in cool rooms behind the scenes, those kind of horror stories where there's explosions or there's black mould or a shark, for instance, being kept in a cool room for no apparent reason. Um, do you have some of those sort of stories, that sort of behind-the-scenes hospo thing? What have you seen in a school in a cool room? I was going to say a school room. That alarms me that that was a Freudian slip. What have you seen in a cool room that um, amused or horrified you over the years, guys? Um, so pro probably the, the best cool room story... Uh, that I've got uh, would be, like Ian said before, we spent about nine months um, in this shed in Reservoir for when we first got the keys. 
Um, and fortunately, from a bank balance point of view, uh, Ian and I are pretty handy. So we did everything from digging drains to uh, welding uh, furniture, um, light, light fittings and various bits and pieces. Uh, the whole fit out was basically done by us, um, painting the whole lot. Uh, which involved very long, uh, arduous days and and uh, and nights. And uh, when we first got in here, we had a um, we had a fold out uh, sofa, and our cool room is a direct draw cool room um, that we've got fourteen taps um, uh, running uh, around the big circular bar, which used to be a, an admin office um, in the mechanics um, for the mechanics that was here previously. Um, and we, we lined it with cool room panels and turned it into a cool room. And um, the best thing was that uh, on one of the nights of us working here till late meant that uh, Ian had to, um, had to sleep in the cool room. And um, the, look on his, the look on his face when after a long night painting, he uh, had a mattress that had a hole in it and uh, it's some it's, um, ungodly hour in the morning because we couldn't sleep. I walk out and Ian comes out of the cool room with the flat, opens the door uh, in, in, in the cool room uh, on a flat mattress in his jocks, having, having had the worst night's sleep ever. That's something you don't want to um, bear witness to too often when you open a cool room door. So, that's, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so that'd be that a is good spin. That is a brilliant quality cool room answer, can I tell you? I, I love that one. Totally um, first. Everything from the beginnings of, of why you had to do it through to the handiness, which is exactly how all HOSPO and related things run, uh, through to some of the things which are being mentioned in the chat, which I don't feel the need to, uh, to draw a spotlight to. <laughs> was there I no, 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 no. I, I, I didn't know there was a hole in it. I was like, this is going to be nice. It's going to be quiet and it's going to be comfy. And uh, no, it didn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, Ian, how long did it take you to realize you had a hole in your mattress? Oh, like very quick. It was a big hole. It was a big hole. I didn't even get it. Nah, I didn't even, nah, it didn't even get tight. <laughs> I don't think we've ever actually 120 episodes in. First of all, can I say it's 120 episodes, and I have, I've got through all of those without saying schoolroom rather than call room. But now that I've made that mistake, it's going to happen a lot. I can tell. But I'm 120, 120 episodes without anyone falling asleep in the call room. Am I right, son? Mm. Well, it's quite. It's we're on the 86 tram line, so it's quite noisy. So I'm like, oh, nice and quiet in a call room. Um, <laughs> But, and is that your personal favourite cool room memory as well, or do you have another cool room story that you can um, for a little break? No, I've never entered a cool room ever again. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's card for life. <laughs> Hello there, it's Damien Gibson, former host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Fortunately, being an ex-podcast host is not my only credit anymore, as I have a new podcast called Agents of Narrative. It's an arts preview and review show where I play new songs and review the latest in films and TV shows. I also bring you long-form interviews with comedians, artists and musicians. Uh, that's Agents of Narrative, available for download and streaming on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
number eight. Oh, geez, that was a really confusing introduction, but <laughs> there we are. Um, I thought, just as something different, we actually have one of our cool room audience questions uh, from Jake, and I thought it might be a nice way to, to kickstart this little section. So, Jacob, if you wouldn't mind uh, yeah, asking a question, that would be awesome. Sure, no worries. Um, so I was just, uh, like late last year, I found one of the Future Mountain beers on offer at one of our uh, work locals, the uh, Norton's Hotel. And um, it was kind of, it was great to see because I like um, Future Mountain beers, but I just thought I don't really see them out and about very much. And I was just wondering what sort of scope you guys have in terms of getting beers into venues. Are they on offer in many places around town or are you trying to get into bottle shops or both? So I was just uh, wondering where you're heading with that, you know, outside of the tap room. Um, yeah, I mean, so we do, we don't do a crazy amount of liquid, um, at the moment. So, um, we, uh, we bottle and keg is a very small amount. So the bottle shops that do get it, um, are, uh, pretty lucky, I reckon, because we, we only release a certain amount of, um, beer to wholesale. Uh, we do have a wholesale, uh, employee um that uh, drives that but um yeah we we don't do a lot of we don't do a lot of volume so um most of our stuff does go through the tap room and online um but we're trying to build that at the moment um it's very difficult with beers that take you know 18 months to to create so uh, it's a it's a it's a slow process but uh hopefully uh hopefully like whilst you're driving right now um you'll be able to like I assume you're driving. Um, <laughs> uh, you might be able to drop, uh, if you're driving in the future, uh, you might be able to pull over and get one. <laughs> I live quite close to Future Mountain, so it's pretty good to go to the source. I'm impressed. Yeah, oh, perfect, there you go. That's the best place to get it. It's funny, it's, it's, like, what, it's like what we touched on before, the whole uh, COVID thing and the fact that, you know, sort of, our first, uh, our first birthday uh, weekend was when uh, things went, you know, sort of um, into lockdown. So we, it's not like we're not the sort, we're not the style of brewery that when we first opened, we were open with the full complement of the beers that we do all in package or anything like that. And it took us a good probably six months uh, after we opened, I think, before we even actually released a single package beer because we wanted to get the carbonation right we wanted to make sure that that that, that things were right so we we haven't really had that opportunity yet to be honest where we've sort of where we've we've come out of that first year and that we've been able to really sort of look at um you know wider distribution and things like that we were lucky enough uh, towards the end of last year we um <clears throat> we got uh, a mixed palette of stock over to hong kong so um you know for for us we sort of um, just trying to look at putting it into select um, places and select bottle shops and venues in different markets. So um, sort of, um, you know, once we've, you know, once we uh, dominate Melbourne, then we'll, we'll spread the tentacles out. And, uh, you know, once we, well, once we own Australia, um, Tasmania included, we can um, <laughs> sort of be the overlords and uh, take over farmhouse beer around the world. Uh, if only so we can have a holiday. 
Excellent. I'll, so, go to like, I'll go to Tasmania. It's fine. It's all good. Um, all right. So on to the Alameda, number eight. Um, David informs me that this beer has very, very big shoes to fill uh, as as the as the pre as the predecessor as the pro as the as the next one after number seven i i just got lost there i'm sorry um so yeah tell tell us about this project tell us about uh the like tell us a little bit about the successor to the to the um alameda alameda line uh so we've uh we opened with um an alam with our alameda one but uh the, the project is that we just have a um, expression of our oak cellar every time we feel like blending an Alameda. Um, so, uh, yeah, so like, uh, like I said, number seven got a gold medal at the Indies. Uh, it, was, uh, it was up for a trophy, so it was the top three mixed ferment beer in Australia. Uh, so it was pretty cool. Um, and because the Indies got pushed back, a long way we don't have any seven left <laughs> but there's it's probably out there in the shop somewhere but we 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 don't have any left at the brewery uh, apart from one very very sacred case at the at the bottom of the uh the cool room but um yeah this is uh this is number eight but like we don't treat the i feel like alameda is it's it's pretty it's pretty personal to me and shane we just do it whenever we feel like doing it um and it's just based on a philosophy of um of uh, balance drinkability um uh, uh so like the uh, the alam the alameda brand is more of a philosophy um mm -hmm. so it's uh it, if you buy an alameda you should can't you, you there will be nuance but you should get the same kind of um, acid levels, uh, breath levels, texture levels, uh, and dryness. So um, it's more of a philosophy, a philosophy beer, and um, we, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of, I don't know what to say. It's just... Well, it, it's like um, the, we've got big five hundred liter punchins. That's mm -hmm. just um, two rows of them that are stacked in what's known as a stillage. So they they sort of stack on top of each other and. We um, we can see we, we look at that uh, at that sort of area as effectively one big living breathing organism. It's where we draw our blending stock from and we top back up. Uh, once we initially um, fermented in the big punchins, uh, we we haven't re-inoculated any yeasts. We just keep on just uh, topping uh, topping them up. And for us, the expression of sort of Alameda is that is that sort of when when we when we feel the need to, it's um, to be to sort of do a blend. It's something which we're looking at sort of, you know, it's different times of the year, different flavor profiles and different sort of states and elements of that of that whole organism uh, in all of its individual parts were uh, things that we enjoy kind of sitting down and, you know, sort of formulating a blend from, isn't it? Mm. You know, and it's it's something that as time goes by, there's things just things just evolve, and and that evolution is something which we really embrace, um, mm -hmm. and something that when we do have the opportunity for the two of us to sit down to sort of do an 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 Alameda blend, um, it is a bit of a you know 
a, a, like a bit of a like a cool opportunity for us just to sort of take stock and see where see where things are at. So. Yeah. So yeah, it's really it's it's a real um, insight to where our seller is at, at um, when we release a blend, really, because that's that's what we're doing. We're looking at where everything's at, and that's what um, that's what you guys see as well. Yeah. And so the, the yeah, and the fun part is that we get to go through and you know try a whole bunch of of, of all the different barrels, and um, inevitably there's something that that sort of piques our interest, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Where we sort of we taste something from one of the punches and we go, oh damn, this is this is kind of cool, and you know it's it's like. Um, you know, using using the analogy of kind of like making music, you sort of um, you sort of riff around on a few ideas, and then you know something sort of goes from one idea to the next, and before you know it, you've got four or five different beers in front of you, and you're looking at you know sort of uh, like a like a, like a blend of those things that at that point in time for us is something that we kind of really dig. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch to unpack there. Like I'm I'm kind of gonna throw out the question sheet and and go a little bit, a little bit. I'm gonna steer this ship into the into the nether regions. Um, okay, so the first one is. It could have been an iceberg, but you chose um, the nether region. No, no, because <laughs> I don't want to steer it in. It might end up being an iceberg. It could end up being an iceberg. But the first one is is okay. So so what are we expecting? from the the kind of that philosophy though so the in kind of physical terms when you say that you should be expecting a certain acid level and you should be expecting certain uh, textures and breadth levels and stuff what are those levels we should be expecting like what what should we see in these in across these beers uh so the same thread is like with all our beers is balance and drinkability so mm -hmm. um just it, it, it's a balance with acid and texture um, a nice level of dryness, carbonation adding adding to the to that texture. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, like I, I look at Alameda as not being that specific. It's more it's more of a, a holistic thing, like more of a philosophy thing. So okay. if you, if you if you've bought Alameda from number three to now, to me, and this is this is our intention. I'm, yep. I'm not saying I'm not saying anyone should have whatever, right? but uh -huh. um, we make such a small amount that. If you if you bought them, you'd see a common thread. Sure. Um, so and that's 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 our intention. That that is very specific um, sure. to to the philosophy of the blend. Okay. Um, yeah. So we we have, I think I think we have about thirty thousand liters of golden sour beer, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we have a lot of beer to choose from, and we can do vastly different Alameda blends every time. It could mm -hmm. be crazy this way, crazy that way, but um, the intention is to be nice and not, not, um, not to have a what do you call it? Like a not, not necessarily consistency because flavor profiles, nuances, like mm -hmm. they all taste very, very different. But the uh, fundamentals of the beer are pretty similar, mm. and that's the that's 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 when we blend the fundamentals. Uh, crucial. Mm -hmm. um, would would you say so? So just to try to tie it all together, would you say that this beer was a statement of who you guys, what you guys are trying to be, and who you guys are? Is that is that would I, would that philosophy kind of is that kind of part of that philosophy? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that's true, and I'd say that it's a statement of where our mixed culture and our cellar is right now. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like it's a story. So if you had Alameda one and two, yep. uh, the threads would be pretty similar, but you'd see a, a huge evolution of, um, of flavor. Um, am, am I assuming that the uh, it's very, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a more complex flavor as we move down the line. Um, is there anything else that's changed uh, in terms of this beer as, as it's evolved through and as you've, you've kind of put that philosophy into action? I think it's, you know, for us, it's just, it's sort of multi-dimensional, I guess, you know, from the, from the point of view of it, it's sort of the benefit, what, what the benefit of time affords you is uh, the nuances but a depth and a complexity that, that that only come that only comes with time, and mm -hmm. once you actually add that element of being able to blend these elements in, you really start to be able to get something which is far more far more refined and developed. And there's you know all these depths, nuances, and complexities are things that you know you need you need the ability to be able to have an array of blending stock, but you also need to have the luxury of time, and so. It's that thing where, you know, once a year, one of our uh, beers that we are very excited to make every year is our anniversary ale. And, and that is something which we, which we do with a long table of people um, who we, we invite um, people into that experience of what we do when we sit down and work out a blend for a beer like Alameda. However, we do it on the weekend of our birthday and it's something that we look at the entire cellar um, and look at being able to sort of approach that process very differently to be able to really encapsulate the the seller as a whole at that at that snapshot that moment in time which is the evolution from one year to the next um, but you know definitely when we're doing when we're blending Alameda it's it's something that sort of we start to see a development over time which is you know natural with the maturation process yeah, 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 yeah. We're, look, we're looking at it like these aren't. Um, we're not looking at short stuff. This is like a not. This is a novel. The novels of beer. And that's mm -hmm. a shit analogy. But uh, yep. we're, we're looking at like when we get to twenty, you know, you re you really get a an understanding if you if you collect them, mm -hmm. and uh, you really get an understanding of the development of the brewery and of of our cellar. And, and, and what naturally ends up happening is that you begin, the starting point of the process for us is to be able to have the stillages which we have and we basically introduce or inoculate yeasts um, into it. What ends up happening is that over a period of time, you know, it's sort of like, re, uh, because we're not re-pitching, but we're just continually feeding these organisms, they change, they drift, mm -hmm. all these terms that, that in brewing circles, you, you, you know, you hear. Um, and I, I just want to just digress for one second and, and it's like use the analogy of, of some amazing Belgian breweries where there was, uh, and this is, I absolutely love this story, where sort of years ago there was like uh, one of the Trappist breweries, West Flatteran, um, where there's all of these small farmhouse breweries that exist around this uh, Trappist brewery, uh, West Flatteran, and they all originally got their yeast from a pitch of yeast from West Flatteran. But they just use it, re-pitch it, re-pitch it, and they take it back back to their little brewery and everything like that. Over a course of time, it starts to develop and starts to change. And then after a while, the yeast starts to sort of, you know, some of the performance might sort of drop back on it. So they swap it with another brewery. 
what happens now is that you go to that area and, and you visit all of these breweries around, um, around West Flederant. And the most fascinating thing about it is that, like I was saying before, they all have a, th a thread within their range of beers, which is a flavour profile that exists in all of their beers. But they vary wildly in what their flavour profiles is. The most amazing thing about it is it all came from the one place. And it, but what that's what happens with time. And, and so for us, when we look at this stillage, what's happening and what 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 we're excited about and what we're looking at at that process and that and that development is that as time goes by, we will start to see that evolution happen within this organ uh, uh, within this large living breathing organism. So these individual components they start to drift and meld and things like that. And they're the things which we're starting to see coming into the third year, um, you know, of uh, Future Mountains. So, you know, we, we really hope in, you know, in 10 years time, you know, it's sort of like this 10 years time, we may not be bought out by Asahi by then, maybe we will, <laughs> not too sure. But hopefully that... Are you that, for sale? That, That's what you're saying. Yeah. You're for sale. We've got our 806 scoop. That's right. We can, we can cut off the recording now. But hopefully, you know, it's sort of like, like that, that really excites us as to what that stillage, what that flavour, mm. what that's going to taste like will be just completely, it'll just be just this thing, you know. And so, mm. yeah, like Ian yep. said, it's, you know, for us, Alameda is an essence, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's, yep. A, yep. it's a, it's a, it's a feel. And mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we're not looking at, you know, doing something drastically crazy, crazily different. There yep. are things which we highlight and capture from one thing to the next, but it's the big picture that, that yep. sort yep. of we it's look just, at. Yeah, that's how it's, yep. just start, it's just started. Well, it hasn't even begun. It's, you know, those yeast cultures have been in there for three years. It's nothing. Yep. It's nothing. So, like, even 10 years, you're like, right, mm. let's now let's start going. Like, it's just yeah so that's that's what's cool about we just we just do very small amounts of alameda when kind of we feel like it and um it's a nice little cult beer that uh, a lot of people are putting away and um um it will tell a bigger story mm. one day yeah that's that's amazing awesome. i mean that that just that just says a lot about i think like you you guys you definitely get the center on a, a a journey that that and and something beyond beyond just simply creating a, a product um that you've got something that's that's living and consistency for you guys sounds like it's a different word from consistency to other people who are making product it's yeah it's all hearing all of that is it's just amazing um Going to something else which is amazing and a, a, a different tact entirely uh the labels on this on on the uh, Alameda is is just terrific. I mean, I, and and that goes for all of the beers. As a matter of fact, they're, they've just got these really beautiful and alluring labels. Um, tell us about the process of of, of developing the, the those labels, the creative, yeah, things that go on to 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 produce that. And yeah, what how how do you do it? What do you do? Where do you start? Yeah. Uh, so it's. So we're we're lucky enough to be married to um, my wife is a chartered accountant, um, not as glamorous as Shane's wife, who is the uh, artist artiste um, that does all our um, uh, labels, so watercolors. Um, so she's uh, she's she's done it from the start. Um, she's like an unbelievable artist, and she does a lot of our uh, photography as well. But uh, 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 hand it over. 
Yeah, um, I'll just I'll just digress quickly just just for one second because it's 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 very relevant. Uh, you mm. know, whilst 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 Ian and I get to sit here and and you know sort of talk of all the magic and mystery of um you know sort of owning a brewery, let alone a a brewery like we do, we operate within a niche within a niche. I think it's an important acknowledgement to make. It was sort of like when we were first starting this brewery. Um, you know, it was like every startup business, we kind of, you know, developed a business plan um, to sort of to, to sort of put it out there. And between the shared talents of sort of Elise's ability to be able to sort of make us look financially sort of uh, responsible and Cara's skills of being able to sort of frame and present us as being this sort of high end quality production, um, uh, like Ian and I felt like, you know, uh, fools and jesters in 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 sort of a completely different game. So Cara and Elise are like full props. Like you know, there's 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 like two of us sitting here now talking, but it is a it is a four person team, mm. and um, it's like we we had so many people going. You guys look and sound so professional. <laughs> we were a couple of boobs. It was like I <laughs> one amazing partner could make us look like that we weren't um, financial idiots, and the other one made us look like we were artistic geniuses so <laughs> for, like full disclosure let's just let's just get out of the yeah, way oh, yeah. let's Love get it. out of yeah. the way very relevant we're we're big on acknowledging partners and their mm. roles uh in our organizations 100%. even if they get described as delivery homes <laughs> totally but so you know it, it's the, it's the, um it's that thing it's sort of like you know as you kind of answer your question in terms of like what the process is, um, you know, it, it's probably it's it's testament to the fact that uh, we're the whole four of us are on the same wavelength. So we actually don't talk about it, to be honest. We basically we've got this really nice rhythm going where by the time Ian and I get to a point of being able to have a beer that we're really happy with and we think of some some wacky cool name that we forget uh, and then need to be reminded of what it is again um, we basically just need to be able to sort of point out two or three elements within the within the beers that's is something which um, you know it you know means a lot to us and basically Cara goes to work it's not it's not a very consultative process um, she basically does something and then we go that's amazing so it's yeah. all it's hand-painted watercolors um, yeah. she's a you know, um, she's an amazing artist, um, and that's something that that's that um, is really important. It's like some of our most uh, influential breweries, and they tend to mostly be a lot of American breweries. There's something amazing which they uh, which they do, which I think uh, resonates with consumers, and that is that they have uh, they have this amazing brand, incredible visual aesthetic. They have a, a really nice tap room. Their beers are amazing. And the point is, is that it permeates all the way through. So from what you see in the bottle, from what you see on the label, whether you go to the tap room, and then you most importantly, when you drink the product, it all makes sense. And we're talking about breweries like Jester King, Hill Farmstead, Santa Adarius, you know, all these places where it's just, it just, it just works. Um, Black projects, side projects, um, Casey, you know, all of these, like all these people and the visual aesthetic is, is really important to Very us. Important, and yeah, it's yeah. something which we built around the tap room and the, and the artwork, the artwork permeates through that. But, um, you know, most certainly it's something that um, is really, really important to us. And yeah, the labels. Can I, can I jump in? I know Warren's thrown out the question sheet and I 
kind of admiring for doing that. But a question that I was genuinely interested to know is whether there is a feedback between the labelling and the artistry behind that and the beer inside the bottle. Is there like a bank of effectively colours and labels ready to go and you guys go, this one will suit that? Is there a tasting of the beer? Is there a discussion or... You know, how do some of those things work? Because oh, in my experience, they just seem to match so well. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's the cool thing, right, about everyone being connected with uh, the business and the product. Like everyone, uh, not even the business, just the product. So Ka- like Cara just knows if we tell her we're making this kind of beer, um, she instantly knows what um it's a, it's just being like um having 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 a mission and everyone being on the same path and everyone having a common goal um and it works if, if everyone's on that same path it all works mm. it's yep. there's no the common goal is the same so mm. that's the key yeah and you know, being being married to a brewer for ages must be just awful. <laughs> Don't worry, she she knows she's yeah, she, it's yeah, she knows everything. She gets bored to tears every like all the time when we're talking about something we're making. We go, oh, and she goes, right, I calm down. So, <laughs> so let me guess, you, you want a blue label, <laughs> whatever it might be. But you know, it, it's like it. It all works. There must be something to it. Um, uh, I wish that there was something that, you know, that, that would be easy to answer that from the point of view. It's very methodical and it's very structured. But, you know, for us, the really cool thing is that it's sort of like we have an idea of a concept. We say that we need it, uh, that we need a label for this beer, which is coming out. Does she taste it beforehand? Sometimes, not all the time. She knows what the name of it is. Uh, she knows what, you know, what the elements are. And she knows what a uh, like a like what a quintessential future mountain beer is. Like Ian could say, he could say to me that I want to do a spruce beer with blah 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 and blueberries and pepper berries in it, or and or, or whatever. And I would have a pretty fair idea as to what that's going to taste like because I know how he designs and builds beers. And so I think a lot of that comes. She ends up doing a label. She ends up doing a label. We put it on the bottle and we drink it, and you just go, it just makes sense. You know, it, it's like. Yeah, it's that's that's a way better answer and a way more interesting answer and insightful to I think you know your ethos as a brewery than saying yes we have a production meeting at the beginning of every financial quarter and we map out you know what we're going to do and we employ people from you know overseas to come in and just randomly assess what a label should look like. That's a great answer. One hundred percent. And you know we've worked at we've worked at you know, production breweries and stuff like that. We know how it works behind the behind closed doors and stuff like that. And there's there's multifaceted reasons why you know sort of we wanted to do a, a a different approach. And in part, that is it. I've sat in sales meetings. I wanted to stab myself in the eye when somebody's trying to talk about why a beer needs to be a particular colour and a particular ABV to land in a market. Shoot me in the face, like mm-hmm. far out. I would, I would rather. So, you know, we we get to express things our particular way here. Um, now, that may not be too financially viable. So, the next time we're talking, we might be doing hazy, we might be doing hazy milkshake IPAs. So, just just bear with us, and 
But I do think that our promo for this episode is going to be, you know, what made the guys say, shoot me in the face. <laughs> listen in until you find that bit of the podcast. <laughs> uh, just, just a really weird comment. Yeah, to, to, have, to have filled out a, uh, to have created a business plan and looked at it and just went, well, it's going to take us 18 months to produce any individual product and then gone ahead with it. I think your mission had to be really clear. You had to have, you had to have had a really deep understanding of where you, 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 where you want to go because yeah, because the, 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 like normally what, what drives a business doesn't start with how, how, how can we create a product which takes longer than like we, we which will take, like at least a year and a half longer than other breweries produce their product. It's yeah, it's just remarkable. It's yeah. Uh, uh, the, we, we uh, when we did our business plan and our mission statement, that that you know we, we didn't we didn't create that mission statement for uh, investors or for anyone to. It's it's on the it's on the wall of our building uh, office here. It's everywhere in in our offices. Um, it's uh, it's it's it's. We took it very seriously and we still take it very seriously mm -hmm. even more seriously now so like yeah the mission statement is uh is um is crucial to what we do every day mm. and love it coming, coming back to it and not drifting that's the it's very easy to drift we know we we, we know breweries that are, we started up the same time that, that have drifted mm. um, and you know that could be good for you but for us um it's not we we don't want to drift too far from yep. why, why we started the business. Mm. And that's the thing, you know, it's sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I hugely respect, you know, sort of uh, the fact that it's sort of, you know, we're, we're a two-headed beast. I, I wouldn't, I would think of nothing worse than trying to, to do a brewery by yourself. Um, and I daily am reminded of that, the, the fact that I greatly appreciate that I have a functioning business partner that, uh, that we're on the same wavelength that we keep each other in check. And it's a really important thing that from time to time, you, you know, you obviously have all the ebbs and flows of business and or like the, the world we live in where you, you know, you, you look at trends and you try and second guess yourself and things like that, you know, and there's been a number of things which have sort of come through and it's by no disrespect to, to any other products, you know, but I'll identify, you know, seltzers and alcohol-free beers and things like that as, as like two classic examples where kind of we have the conversation and just go, it's just it's just not for us. It doesn't mean it's it's right, wrong or otherwise. But, you know, we, we are in a wonderfully luxurious position where it's sort of like we can sit here and say that this is our ethos and things like that. Um, and we live and die by that, you know, and if that means that, you know, we go down in a blaze of glory and I think it's a really important thing which, which you know, I acknowledge that Ian is the first one to point out, you know, time and time again. And it's like, we would rather try and fail at exactly what we want to do than try and move with, you know, with the ebbs and flows of trends, popularities, or anything that we think might leverage an extra couple of thousand litres of liquid. Now, it's a wonderful, luxurious world that we live in, right? That in the Western society we live in, that we can make that call. Because if the business goes to shit, we can find jobs. So, you know... The perspective on all of that is the fact that we get to be able to sit here and say, no, this is the beverage we want to make. And we respect that. We respect all the other breweries because we've got wicked mates in this industry and it's a beautiful industry and stuff. But, um, 
yeah, we're going to live and die by what we think is, um, you know, most important to our business, our mission statement, and and sort of what we feel in our heart and soul. Amazing. That's a that's a wicked mentality to have, guys. Like it's it's so good to hear that sort of stuff from from breweries we have on the on the podcast. Um, yeah, well done. That's awesome. Um, I think that also drives us into beautifully into the very the very last question. Uh, what does the mission and the ethos have in store for us for twenty twenty two? What where what are you doing? What's what what can we expect from you guys that should that that um yeah that, that we can get excited about? Twenty twenty two and beyond. And beyond. Well, long time beyond, hopefully. Yeah. Um, um well during the 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 pandemic it kind of put a it kind of put a halt on a lot of ideas and um and uh just yeah um missions that we wanted to go down um so they're they're reignited and um in in the cellar at the moment in the tanks at the moment there's a lot of cool very very cool new beers uh, fermenting away so a lot more new innovative beers uh, that we've always wanted to do and we've done on a very small scale but <clears throat> we'll we'll build them up this time Come on, you can throw it. You can say more than nah. what's in there. Come on, it's, oh, it's, a, it's a seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> we just spent eight hours today chopping up peaches and uh, eighty kilos of peaches. Yeah, so eighty kilos. Yeah, so. That's the kind of thing. And, and, and did you reconsider your life choices while you were? Doing oh yeah. That? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Massively. <laughs> the opposite. I, I'm all, I, I love watching Mythbusters and they have that sort of moment of going, can you believe that we're having this awesome moment where we're about to blow up a cement mixer full of, you know, we're 40 years old and we're about to blow up a cement mixer full of TNT. Is there the opposite bit where you go, you know, we, we own our own business and we're just spending time with our fingers bleeding because we're... Oh, yeah, I was, uh, I, was chop- I was chopping up peaches and then Shane was saying, Jonesy... You need to chop them a bit finer. <laughs> uh, so I yeah, didn't did appreciate that comment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, with obviously two knives in the room, you both survived. Yeah, No, you know, it's it's sort of you know being only um, uh, for us what what drives us and what is at the core of Future Mount is fermentation. So. You know, it's sort of like we've there's a lot of things which we uh, have in the pipeline um, from the point of view of different fermentation vessels, different modes of fermentation, um, and a very big thing for us is getting our um, is getting our lab up and running. Um, whilst we're not all that and we're not all that driven by the, the the notion of spontaneous fermentation, we really want to start to delve into um, uh, dig a lot deeper into uh, capturing wild yeasts and we've got this the, you know just as just as a little bit of an indication it's like we've got uh, some, uh, a whole bunch of our long-term maturation sour beers that we fruit uh, we get from one orchard out in the valley and so for us you know the there's the completing that cycle for us would be um, and we're going out on Monday to be able to to be able to, um, to uh, take um, uh, f- uh, flower uh, fruit blossoms our fruit skins and be able to start to bring it back to the lab and start to sort of try and propagate up wild captures uh, from that to be able to inoculate the beer 
with the view of being able to create these beers where we can, we can ferment a beer uh, from the fruit from the orchard that then we buy fruit to put in the beer and then for the re-fermentation. So we're almost completing a cycle. Um, and so in coming into the colder months as well, being able to sort of do um, some uh, do some yeast captures as well. So, and really working or honing in on that true legitimate sense of being able to have a quote unquote house culture. Um, so um, that's the, you know, yeah, they're, the, long time they're, the, they're that the big happen, things yeah. that, that sort of, we've sort of really want to drive in 2022. Mm. Yep. That, that is, that's that's amazing. That's great. Um, that the the yeast capture project sounds remarkable. Um, the idea of the peat, like those peaches you were cutting up, are actually being fermented by yeast that lives on those peaches is yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah, yeah. That is just a immensely yeah mind twisting great idea. Yeah. Uh, I reckon we could probably take a few questions from uh, the Zoom room. The first one, I believe, uh, that we had is Shana. Um, Shana, did you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? I feel like we touched on it really earlier on when we were talking about or really driving home the message of farmhouse being your style. And then also when you were just talking about Spawn, you kind of touched on it again. But uh when push comes to shove Ian you talked about your love for gesture king is there a desire to go that challenging that challenging uh, yeah okay that's I I suppose like I'm talking about some of their spawns are just they're a they mess with your mind and they they're really a challenging beer whereas I find the farmhouse style I don't want to say entry level because we're obviously on a whole nother wavelength altogether, but they're a lot more approachable for someone who likes beer. And I'm just curious, are you wanting to, you said no to Spawn. I suppose that that does answer a bit of that. But are you looking to go down that really funky, funky path? Um, not really. Um, we take a lot of influence from those uh, front, like, like, like Jester King and those guys are in their farmhouse sale approach. Um, not, not a lambic approach, like which, which are those, those spawns are really uh, influenced uh, uh, by, but um, when in a sour, in a, within our sour beers, any acidic beers that we create, uh, I don't know if this is a good answer, but uh, it's, um, we don't take any influence from lambic at all. Mm. Um we take it all from American farmhouse beer. Um, so it's, so not, when I say American farmhouse beer, I'm not talking about rear barrel and things like that, and almanac, you know, that's highly acidic, uh, really, really challenging. I call them very challenging to drink, um, but um, more, more, more nuanced um, uh, farmhouse beer in, in America. So uh, rubbish, uh, rubbish answer, but um I'd say that those spawn beers are more uh, lambic based, and no, we're not interested in doing any beers like that at all. Mm. It's yeah. one of those. It, it's one of those things where it, it's sort of like um, you can achieve a lot of similar outcomes by being able to capture wild yeasts and be able to get a more a more 
uh, focus directed sort of um, outcome. Spontaneous fermentation is incredibly romantic. Um, the, the realities of it and the practicalities of it are very, very different. So if you're, if you're a brewery that has the luxury of being able to have some space, you can mess around with spontaneous fermentation and stick a bunch of stuff in barrels and, and after it's been spontaneously fermented and, and stick it in the barrels. And maybe something will produce something that is half decent in two or three years time or whatever. Um, but you'd be surprised for, for a bunch of producers how little of a percentage that might be. Um, it's also too where it's sort of like it depends where you're actually drawing, you know, the microbes from as to what you're actually getting or not. I like I would say like like the Jester King thing, you know, there's there's such a myriad of complexity within their farmhouse ale style of, of beers within, you know, within their cultures that, you know, it's sort of like their spontaneous beers are something which they you know, is, is sort of, uh, you know, one stream or one part of something, uh, you know, which they do. But, um, you know, we like, I think, which is something that really is, is really cool is that, you know, like we we're talking about the orchard, the idea of being able to put something out within rows of vines um, or out in the orchard overnight and be able to spontaneously ferment something that in a smaller volume that we could bring back and be able to propagate up and then be able to inoculate in. Would you call that spontaneous? I don't know. Like, I think that the origins of that possibly um, is. I think that's far more appealing than opening a roller door in reservoir and seeing what the yeah. fuck happens. Um, so I don't know anyone that, you know, if anyone's familiar where, where we are, um, there's some pretty, some pretty sketchy dudes outside the roller door. So I don't, I don't I, that's what doesn't really float our boat because, you know, that romantic notion of just opening the louvers and just letting whatever is in Brussels just roll through, that's the, 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 the reality is not the case. If you were La Serene and Costa's a wonderful producer and he's down by um, uh, Mary Creek, um, uh, Darabin, yeah, 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 totally. Mm. But so when, when, when we talk about it, you know, it's that thing where it's sort of like if we get something from out of, from out of the orchard that is, you know, work that's been left out overnight and we brought it back and propagated it, it's technically been, it's been, uh, I, it's been captured uh, from a spontaneous method, but we wouldn't call it a spontaneous yeah, and method. isolated and repitched. So we, so we're, we're very careful. We don't cause, we don't, we're not a wild ale brewery because of, because of this um, uh, philosophy that we have. We don't, we don't, we don't, even if we did that, we wouldn't claim that to be wild. Can I, I've got two quick questions, one of which uh, in my usual style is completely silly and meaningless, which is, you know, I, I wonder what will happen when the, uh, the first open ferment brewery that has a tap room actually has COVID in one of their beers and, you know, it'll be the sort of, you know, first time someone can actually successfully say that. More importantly, what I was going to ask was around that notion of, particularly with sort of open ferment wines and so forth, is the notion that, if you've got a 200-year-old winery, that the yeasts sort of become symbiotic organisms in the, in the whole building, but, you know, within the wood, within everything else, and that it's, it's no longer that opening the louvers so much as 
this is just what happens in a space? Do you sort of see that that's probably less achievable in Australian breweries than it is in some of those overseas ones? That's actually that is that is a, a that's a very very good point. The COVID um, one or the <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I have sneezed in the open ferment. I haven't done a I haven't done a rat test, but I I think it is Omicron. But uh, that's that's in the next that's in Alameda nine. Um, so we like from our limited experience, you have this situation right where it's sort of like you're in a production brewery. And you're bringing in these yeasts, and you're you're pitching yeast. And let's say that you're using a, a, a Westmale Trappist yeast to be able to do a triple, or you're putting saison yeast into fermenters to be able to do a saison, things like that. You're a production brewery. You're making these beers, and it's you, you know you're, you're you're cleaning the tanks, and the, the 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 used yeast is going down the drain, and there's a trade waste unit, and it's all just floating around the air, right? So then say, for example, you then do a spontaneous beer once or twice a year when it's really, really cold in Melbourne where you put it in an open vessel and you keep it in the brewery. What are you getting? So it's sort of like we've had examples where we've tasted spontaneous beers from breweries and damn, it tastes like a Saison. Damn, it tastes like a damn taste. It tastes like a West Flat. Right? Oh, it tastes like a West Mile triple, right? So, you know, it's, there's, there's only a handful of places that can actually genuinely truly do it. And, and while we're on that theme, I, when, what I personally love and the, when the romance match, matches the practicality of it, it's difficult in an urban situation to necessarily do it unless you're in, unless you're in Brussels, but I've got to, you know, do massive props to, um, uh, uh, to producers like Van Diemen's and Two Metre Tall. It's sort of like you, can't, well, you, there's, you can't use that excuse because they're literally in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of like, so y y you have to work with the environment and you have to kind of see a slight perspective on, on what you're dealing with. And that's why, you know, it's, it's delving a little bit deeper into the thing which I uh, touched on before and spontaneous beers are incredibly romantic and they are beautiful. The romantic notion of just, you know, something just being able to just uh, settle down and on top of it. And it's the most, it's, it's amazing, right? Marrying up the practicalities and the mechanisms of that, of that are two very, very different things. And when you're talking about lambic producers that are in this beautiful area and region, which is yeast propagating, uh, yeast propagation companies have basically been isolating these, these yeast strains from, for many, many years. This is a generational thing. This is something that's happened over decades of, of uh, trial and error. We, as, as humble brewers in a shedding reservoir, would heavens to bid in 2022 be want to be arrogant enough to think that we could open the roller door and actually do <laughs> something amazing. So, you know, it's sort of like our initial reaction of the fact of us not being sort of that interested in doing it is just as much born from respect and and born from the fact that we wouldn't I wouldn't want to put my I wouldn't want to put my name to the fact of going yeah 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 trust me taste this spontaneous beer that we're about to make because I just don't know whether that's something that we could do in this environment in this place and in this point in time but so we look at what what the what the elements are are things that we can actually sort of work with and wild yeast captures and being able to go to other places and be able to 
do those. That's something which is which is something practical, and that's uh, and that's where we try and marry up. For us, farmhouse beers is a state of mind, and that and that state of mind is being able to be true to the process and be very respectful to the styles and very respectful to the to the producers that actually do do it really well. Awesome answer. That's awesome. so good, guys. Um, I was way too long, I reckon. And and on Shane's little <laughs> mic drop there. Um, I'm done. That's think, it. I've got nothing left. <laughs> I, th- I don't think we'll get any better than that. So now's probably a, a great time to wrap up. Um, guys, you've been uh, super generous with your time and the passion that you guys have uh, for the beer and the industry is just amazing. So it's, it's been, it's been really cool to, to hear your take on stuff and, um, and where you've come from. So thank you very much for joining us in the cool room. Uh, as always, feel free to hang around and, uh, have a chat with everyone. We'll, we'll stick around in the zoom room and have a couple more beers and, uh, try your wares. And I'm sure people will have a few more questions. Um, before we go, guys, where do we find you on the social medias? Oh, we're, oh, uh-oh. Uh, oh, I'm putting you on the spot. It's such a cool thing uh, to do. Search, uh, search a brewery. I don't know. Yeah, we're not good at that. <laughs> That's right. We, as, as always, I just like asking that question to see what the response is going to be from the brewers. Uh, nine out of ten times, you don't know. Uh, but yeah. uh, we'll make sure we look into it and put it up on the show notes for the podcast episode, of course, and uh, make sure we link you guys in. Uh, guys, David, Warren, I think we've uh, we've had a great night. Uh, the beers are fantastic. There's a few more in the packs. As David mentioned earlier, there's still uh, still some available. So so get on the Shopify store, guys, and uh, make your purchases. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. Have a wonderful night. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Cheers.